on, all, give them a hand, all you small group leaders. I go fast. I got 22 minutes left. I got a timer today. I'm going to get you out of here on time. All right. <clears throat> um, what was I going to say? No, no, no. I was going to just wrap up the, the group. Just get in a group, man. It, you, you are missing out if you're not in a group. It's the most important thing that you can do once you decide this is my church family. This is my church home. Listen, Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the message. Sunday morning is not the place that you're supposed to get all of the, the spiritual nutrients. You, you can't, all right? It's too big of a crowd and it's growing. Come on, somebody. All right. But you can get in a group with five to ten people and you can open up the Bible and you can share the stuff that's going on in each other's lives and, uh, and have real authentic relationships with each other. So you got to get in a group. Come on, that's the best commercial I could possibly give you, Joel Mears. You better buy me lunch. All right. So, new series today uh, called Running with the Giants. We're going to shift gears. A minute ago I talked about bad giants. Now we're going to talk about good giants, all right? And uh, we are, we're going to take... Um, the next eight weeks and look at the, some of the giants of faith in the Bible. And we're going to work through those. We're going to end on Palm Sunday talking about, come on, the biggest giant of all, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that's going to take us right into Easter. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now, you don't want to miss Easter this year. Um, the theme is going to be the, just the grace of God and, and how amazing that is. And we've already started working on some of the just the media and all the cool stuff that we're going to pull off that day. If there's ever been a day to bring friends and family, it's going to be Easter. And students, I've already looked at all of the, the college calendars. And I know spring break happens well before Easter weekend this year. So, so you're invited to be here. I know some of you will still want to go home and do Easter with families. But I just want you to know, use, feel free to use Easter as an evangelistic tool. You should use every Sunday as an evangelistic tool. Bring your friends. Bring people who you know need Christ. To, to enjoy true life on Sundays. But this series is going to be a great way for us to build up to that Easter Sunday. It's going to be a powerful day. Really, really looking forward to it. All right, so we are um, going to start this off with a scripture that you're going to hear all throughout this eight weeks. It's um, Hebrews chapter 12. And it starts off with this word that we've talked about in the past. Uh, you, you guys have heard it. It's therefore. Everybody say Therefore. All right, and so you've heard me say this before, kind of corny, kind of cheesy, but when we see the word therefore in the Bible, we need to ask what it's therefore, therefore, all right? Why? Because when the Bible was written, all these letters, like in the New Testament, Hebrews was a letter. Um, These are called um, epistles, all right? And and so we've got Hebrews, you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and... And so all of so so check it out. When you write a letter to someone, I maybe you do this, but I doubt it. You probably don't sit down and write, Dear Mom, chapter one, verse one. Things are going well. Hope you're doing well at your place. Verse two. Probably probably not right. So where do the chapter and verses come from? They came after years of studying the scripture to help us find the places in scripture that we want to study. They weren't in the original letters. So That's why it's important when we see a chapter start with a word like therefore, which we do in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we should know what was before it. And let me just give you a little background. Hebrews chapter 11 is what some people call it the hall of fame of faith, all right? And it's full of these heroes of the faith, giants of the faith, who who get mentioned, some of them a little bit 
more in length, some of them just very quickly, for whatever their contribution was to the story of the gospel and to faith and, and, and history throughout the Bible and what their faith did for them. And so we read chapters like chapter 11 that are pretty historical. And then the word therefore sets us up with how we apply that to us. So we're reading that, right? We're going, okay, that's great. All these guys had great faith. They did great things for God. And then we get to chapter 12. Therefore, what? How does this apply to my life? How does this help me? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. And let me just for a second say, one of the questions people often have is like, the people who've gone to heaven before us, and, and the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And, and so they're the, like, can they, do they know what's happening down here? And, and some scholars go back and forth on that. But I would just say this verse seems to indicate that there's a big crowd of people up in heaven who are, at least being kept up to date on what's happening in your life here. And it says there are a crowd of witnesses. And I just picture them like kind of cheering for us, cheering a song. Come on, you can do it. You can make it. Do what God has called you to do. So it says they're witnesses to this life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So we see a few things in the scripture. We see the scripture saying, hey, life is a race. There's this race that all of us are running. We're, run, we, we're trying to make it to the end. The scripture also acknowledges that there's some stuff that's going to happen during this race to try to get us off track, to try to make it hard. It says there's things that weigh us down, slow us down. There's sin that can entangle us and try to trap us. And uh, anybody, we have lots of runners in our church. Come on, where are my runners at? And you know, you know, even just physically running, there's all kinds of things that try to weigh you down, try to slow you. Uh, by the way, just an update, because I'm not, I'm going to brag, I am. Um, but it's, it's all good. When, when we started the church, I told you, if you were here, that, that I would do everything I could to make sure that I get to be your pastor for a very long time. And for you and for my family, I just made a commitment to get healthy. And uh, Jeff Brownlee got me running couch to 5K a while back. Been a little hard, harder since I hurt a knee, but I I just want you. I just want to share an update with you guys. I bought some new jeans this week, and check it out. I did not have to order from the big and tall. Come on, baby, yeah! I got to use a regular size. Come on, somebody. It's, uh, so you can have my old jeans, Tim. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> so just real, real quick, one of the things, we don't talk about it that much, one of the things that will weigh us down is physical health. This, your body is the temple. You're supposed to take care of it. So I'm not dumb enough to talk to ladies about weight, so let me just talk to the men. Let me just say, your families, your church family, your friends, they need you to be around for the long haul. So if you're... If it's getting out of control and you're getting out of shape and stuff that you used to be able to wear, you can't wear anymore. That's what was happening to me. Listen, I was, I had broken the 300 pound mark when we started the church, kind of freaked me out. And I just crossed into the two sixties for the first time. And, and I'm, I'm going, I'm going all the way down till that chart says you're not going to die. All right. So, so men, let me just, let me just say this. Stop jacking around with it. Get healthy. Your families need you. We need you. You're more important than that. 
So, so do whatever it takes. Find an exercise program. Uh, go to Weight Watch. You do whatever it's going to work for you. Get some accountability around it. Get healthy. We need you healthy. Come on, somebody. All right. I, I br- listen, I broke a sweat worshiping this morning. So maybe if you're looking for a, a weight loss plan, just worship harder, man. Just go, just go for it. All right. So we're in this race and don't run around during worship. We will tase you for that like a tambourine. All right. We're in a race. There's these people in the stands cheering us on. The race is hard. We need to know what keeps us from running it well. And so, and so here's kind of the big idea of this series. And we've got to give props to um, a couple people here. One of them is uh, a guy by the name of Pastor Chris Hodges in Church of the Highlands down in Birmingham, Alabama. They've been a great influence and help to us training on how to start a church. And, and uh, the, the idea for this series kind of came from there, but even went back further than that to a guy by the name of John Maxwell, who years ago wrote a book by the same title, Running with the Giants. And here was kind of the idea of the book. And it was that, you know, how many of you ever played sports? You've played in a sporting event um, or, or even like band or whatever. There's a crowd there that, that, that not a sport, but very cool, very important. All right. So um, I, I was band geek. I admit it. All right. <laughs> it's all my homies. All right. So, um, you know, when, when there's that crowd, I remember marching in parades, all right? So I'm marching in parade, playing my drums, and I'd get to that part of the crowd that was all like my family and friends, and they would, yeah, woo, yeah, all right? It was a small crowd, so I could tell who it was, but, you know, if you've played sports, if you've been an athlete, you know that when the crowd is cheering, if there's, if there's a, a, a large enough crowd, you can't pick the voices out of the crowd. It just, you just hear the, the roar of the crowd. And you know they're there and they're cheering for you. And, and so kind of the idea of this series is we know there's this cloud of witness in there. They're in heaven and they're cheering for us. But what if the giants of faith could come down out of the stands, come down out of the bleachers, and like run a lap with you? What would they say to us in that lap to encourage us and build us up and keep us going? And that's kind of the idea behind this series is that each week, We're going to take a look at a giant of our faith, and we're going to ask the question, if there was just one or two things, and and obviously there's many, many things that the giants would would say to us, but if there's just one or two things that we could pick, that the giants would come down out of the stands and run a lap in in the race of life with us, what would they say to us? And so today we're looking at what would Noah say, and there's... There's a few things I think Noah could say. I mean, I think he could say something like, hey, not a good idea to drink after a long trip. You know the the story of Noah. He gets done with the the whole boat thing and has a few too many, falls asleep naked in the tent, and and it's it's just bad. It just goes bad from when a 600-year-old dude falls asleep naked. Not good. I, don't, I thought maybe Noah would say, like, like I wish they'd invented Febreze back then. You know what I'm saying? Being on the boat with all those. I worked hard on those, you guys. Like, I listened to another guy share a similar message, and he had come up with some, and I didn't like them, so I tried to come up with my own. Mine are better. At least give me a little bit of something. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your pity. All right. Some... Let's talk about Noah. Let me give you some history on Noah. And, and this might, if you're new to Bible reading, sometimes what happens, you start reading it and you're going, 
wait a second, didn't they talk about that guy back there? Why are we talking about him again? And this story seems similar to another story. And, and so, so here's what you should know. That your Bible is not laid out chronologically. Now, there, you can go buy a Bible specifically made that way. But the books of the Bible are grouped by type. All right, so you've got like books that are all prophets, minor minor prophets, major prophets. You've got a whole poetry section. All right, that's where Psalms and and Song of Solomon are at. You've got the the section of the Old Testament, and where we're talking about Noah today is where all of the history is recorded. All right, so what I want to do is um, l- just talk you through some of that history. There's there's six thousand about six thousand years from starting from right now going back of biblical history. All right, Noah. When we see the story of Noah, he is 10 generations. This is going to make some of your minds explode when you try to figure this out. He's 10 generations after Adam. All right, so he's the 10th generation on the earth, but about 1,000 years later. You say, how does that work? Well, people in this time period lived much, much longer on the earth. Earth was actually very different then. Different scholars have different ideas, different opinions. I'm not a scholar, but I kind of believe that the earth... In its perfect form, its pre-sin form, is what we will all revisit someday. Uh, The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so it will be restored back to its pre-sin condition, the perfect world, the way God wanted it to be. All right? And in that, so, so sin enters the world with Adam and Eve. And over time, sin starts to affect the way the earth works and the way the, the, the world works. And so here we are, ten generations after Adam, Noah's... Noah's there, earth is different. You say, how, how, how different was it? Well, like the story of the ark, Noah and the ark, is the first time that, that rain is ever recorded. So most people believe that the earth didn't even need rain prior to that, that, that water was fed up through systems of springs and geysers and, and the land. Some people will tell you that there was almost like a cool mist in the air when you walked around pre-flood days. And so people lived much, much longer. The earth was different. Come on. How many, wouldn't it be nice to never like need any moisturizing lotion? Because the whole, the air is just kind of like, ooh, just feels good. All right. right. So, so people lived much longer. In fact, Noah lived, the Bible says Noah, Noah lived 950 years. Dang. 950 years. He didn't even start having kids until he was 500. <laughs> and he, then he starts building the ark at 600. I just want to say the Bible does not seem to indicate that he took his mother-in-law. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. I love my mother-in-law. They're coming to visit soon. Edit that, Joel. All right. <clears throat> starts building the ark at around 600. Noah's grandfather, you probably heard of him. He's the oldest recorded man in the Bible. His name is Methuselah, lived 969 years. So then we see after Noah, the first rain, the, the earth begins to change, and very rapidly lifespans start coming down to become more in line with what we experience today. Um, I think Moses lived 120 years, if I remember right. So it, it changed. Wickedness shows up on the earth in horrible ways. Sin is rampant. And that's where we're going we're gonna to pick up the story. We all, know, we all know what happened here. Sin is rampant on the earth. God's, God gets so frustrated that he says, I'm, I'm, I've got to start over. I'm going to send a flood. But there's this one guy, and, and this is kind of the, the big idea that I want you to get out today. If Noah could come down and say one thing to us, 
what would, we, what would he say to us? And this is what it is. It's in your notes. For when you wonder if your life really counts, I think Noah would say one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. And I need you to believe that today. That's really the whole idea of this series is to do two things. One, hopefully make you love your Bible a little bit more. Number two is hopefully encourage you. Encourage you and build you up and get you believing that the things God has for you and that he's called for you, they're, they're doable. They can be accomplished with his help. And God needs us. He needs every one of us to buy into this encouragement that your life matters and you can make a difference. So Noah actually gets quoted twice in the New Testament. Both of them reference the end times. And I just want to say, you could easily take a message about Noah that direction, end times. Uh, because if you look at what the world looked like in his generation and what it looks like in our generation, I think you could draw the conclusion that there are a lot of similarities. That sin is very rampant. And so the couple times that he gets mentioned in the New Testament are to say, hey, look, when the world gets like it was with Noah, it, it could be the end times. And, and so I'm not saying we... Definitely live in the end times. Nobody can know that. The Bible is very clear that nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. But I'm just saying, like, if you look at the scriptures and study it, there, there's a really good chance that we're at least getting close. I mean, like, like I've said before, some generation has to be it, right? Somebody has to be in that end times generation. And so I just think we should live and prepare as though we might be. But we're not going to go the end times direction today. But we should be aware that there is a day of judgment that is coming. It's coming. And, and all right, so we'll look at that again here in, in a little bit. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 8, a little bit of Noah's story. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. Who? People. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But, aren't you glad there's that, that word right there? But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. And here's what I want to say to you. That in the midst of a world that's really messed up and really crazy with a lot of bad stuff going on, if you can find favor with God, you can make a difference. One guy makes a difference. How can I make a difference? Look, here, Let's talk through it. Let's look at it. First, you've got to realize that life is not all about you. Now, I think there's this temptation to live life maybe. And I think here's where we get. We go... <clears throat> All right, I'm, I'm going to try to find this place where I'm not really making the world worse. I'm not really adding any evil. But I, I'm not really doing anything to stop evil either. And can I just tell you that if you're not doing anything to fight it, to combat it, you might as well be, you are helping create it. It's actually a very selfish, self-centered way of living life to, to just try to stay in this place. You know what, I, I won't really try to make things worse, but... It's a lot easier for me if I could just make life about me and just get, get it comfortable. I'm just looking, trying to get it comfortable for me. I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to give anything to a missions work or support the work of my church with, by tithing or giving because, because that just, it feels like too much work. And I, I'd rather have like, you know, a bigger TV or, 
or whatever those things are that we have to make choices and we have to make sacrifices in our life. And I don't know what it is for you, but I do know that it's important for us to realize that life is not all about us. Because God wants to use you. In fact, if you've given your heart to Christ, I want to tell you that he expects to use you. And he expects for you to make a difference. How can I make a difference? Here's the first way in your notes. Number one, you can make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your family. Genesis 7-1, when Noah was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family. Maybe the mother-in-law was there. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Now, you, you know what's interesting about this for me is Noah doesn't say, out of all the people on the earth, your family looks righteous. The verse before that doesn't say that Noah and his family found favor. It says Noah found favor and Noah was righteous. And yet, because he found favor and he was righteous, it saved his entire family. God saved his whole family through that. Noah found favor. And whether you like it or not, you need to understand that your life is affecting everyone around you. The choices that you and I make, they affect everyone around us. We don't like to hear that. We don't like that responsibility or that weight on our shoulders, but it's true. And you're either affecting them positively, you're either moving people towards Jesus, or you're moving them away. All of us are. It's just a fact. It's the way it is. Check out Acts 16.31. Kind of a misunderstood verse sometimes. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now, a lot of times people read that scripture and they think, okay, so, so if I pray the prayer and I receive Christ and I accept Jesus, then my whole, my whole family's good. My whole household is saved, right? No, this is one of those scriptures where you've got to Go back and look at the Greek and see what was originally written. And that word household is a word called oikos. And what it actually means is that when you receive Christ and you receive salvation, that you will begin to affect, the actual little, literal translation is, you'll begin to affect your sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence. And so if we're living for Christ, if we have Jesus inside of us, then it should do something to our sphere of influence. What is our sphere of influence? Sociologists say that your circle of influence can be anywhere from about 12 to 17 people. And that, these would be people that you spend at least an hour a week with in conversation, working. Doing, by the way, the average dad in America spends seven minutes a day with his children. Seven times seven, that's 49 minutes a week. So for many of us fathers, that means our kids aren't even in our circle of influence. I think that's a problem. That was my timer going off, but I ain't done. <laughs> your salvation should in- impact your fear, your sphere. You know, I, I hear a lot of times people say, but my, my faith, my, my, my faith, it's, it's a very personal, private thing. And, and I understand how you can arrive at that conclusion, but I just need you to know that that's not consistent with the Bible. It's not consistent with Scripture. The Bible is very clear that our faith should affect our circle of influence. 12 to 17 people. Anybody you spend more than an hour a week with. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to affect my family. Some of you know the story that just a little over a year ago, my stepdad suddenly became ill 
that my mom and my stepdad were packing for a trip on a Friday morning. He had his breakfast. By 10 o'clock, he was very sick in the bathroom, vomiting. By 2 o'clock, they were at the hospital. By Sunday, he was unresponsive. And by that following Friday, um, we had to let him go, take him off of life support because of an infection that got into his body and, and it just took over. What's really awesome about that whole story is just weeks before that, my family had been here to visit me. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, talk to your stepdad about eternity. And so we went for a drive. And I said, listen, man, my grandma's dead. My, my aunt just died. My, my dad is gone. And I'm, I'm at the season of life where I, I just know it's a reality that the older family members, are, they're, they're going to start to be gone and disappear. And, and I just got to be honest with you, man. I don't know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to see you and I need to know. We, we got to have this conversation and thank God. He, he actually came to church that morning, came home to my house and cried for the first time in all the years that I'd known him, cried like a baby after being in church here. Come on, you know the Holy Spirit's messing with somebody when they come over. And so we had the conversation and we talked through salvation and, and I just, I know with all my heart now, man, my stepdad is going to be in heaven. Why? Because I listen to the Holy Spirit and I believe that one person can make a difference. And then, then I got to go home and my mom said, would you, would you speak at the, would you do the funeral? And I got to stand up in front of a packed room. Everybody loved my stepdad. A packed room full of people and share the gospel and talk about how I had led my stepdad into a relationship with Jesus Christ and how every single person there had the hope of seeing him again and see his smiling face and hang out with him one day in heaven. Come on, you can make a difference. One person can make a difference in their family. Here's the second one. You can make a difference for your generation. And I, in fact, I would say you have a responsibility to your generation. And Satan's trick is to make it all about enjoying life. I just want to, I want to try to enjoy life. In fact, I want to speak to this front section right here. Teenagers, all right, students. The, the, the trick of the enemy is to try to make this season of your life. Just enjoy, it's, you only get to be a teenager once. Just enjoy it. Just have fun. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be fun. There are some things you should enjoy. But don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're not meant to have influence or impact on anybody during this season of your life. Because it's a lie. In fact, many of you will get to the adult years of your life. And when you look back and do the math, you'll realize that the high school years of your life were less than 120th of all the years that you'll spend on, on the earth. That's the fraction if you figure it out. And you'll look back at the opportunities to share the love of Christ with people and invite people to church and see their lives get changed. And, and how many of them you might have missed. And I, listen, I'm just telling you, you don't want to live with the regret of that. God has placed you in this season of your life so that he can use you for something. College students, whether you're UD, Wilmington, Dell Tech, I don't care where you're at. God has placed you here, not just so you can have a holy huddle of other Christians and feel safe and try to survive your college years. He's placed you here to be missionaries and evangelists to affect change and bring change to your campus and to the city. But it happens to church people all the time. Man. Make me feel good. Go, Pastor, go deep. Go deeper. Man, you want to go deep? Live the gospel out. That's the deepest thing I can give you. But Sundays, I just I want, I want more. I want more. Me, me, me. More worship. I love the word. Give me more. Stop it. That's, 
That's not what, you know what Sunday morning is? Sunday morning is the locker room halftime speech to get you back out on the field for the game. Open your eyes, man, woman, whatever you are. (laughs) Be a difference maker. Acts 13, 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, the Bible doesn't even say he died, fell asleep. And I I think that's a question, man. When you leave this earth, are you just going to die? Or are you going to have so consistently pursued the purpose of God for your life that everybody just remembers he finished or she finished and went to sleep? She was done. I'm proud. By the way, I'm proud of the students in our church. I want to tell you a story. Because one of our students a little over a year ago had the guts to say to a friend at a cheerleading competition, hey, would you stay the night at my house and go to church with me in the morning? And this girl actually wrote a post, and I asked permission if I could use it this past week. And I want to read it to you because I want you to know what's happening in our church. And I want to give props to our students for having the guts to reach out and try to affect change in their, in their friends' lives. Listen to this. She said, I just want to take a moment to reflect. Today marks the one-year anniversary of me attending True Life Church. I'm so blessed to have been able to find a church where I feel like I belong. In the past year, I've grown so much as a person and in my relationship with Christ. Listen to this. Before I started going to True Life, I was a miserable, moody brat. Thanks to my amazing church family and my own family for supporting me, I've become a better person. And day by day, I find myself becoming a better Christian. So thank you to every one of you who's helped me and supported me in my walk with Christ. Your love and support means more to me than you will ever know. One person said, hey... Come to church with me. And affected somebody else in their generation. And I would just say to you students, a year from now, which one of your friends' stories do I get to read? Six months from now, which story do I get to read? Don't make this season of your life about you. You were meant to change the world. There's purpose on your life. Some of you feel it right now. You feel it. You feel the Holy Spirit. There's purpose on you. He has big things for you. He, he means to use you for something. You're just going to die? Or are you going to lay down and sleep because the work is done? Here's the third thing. You can make a difference for God. God is looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody. The Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those who heart, whose hearts are fully Committed to him. In other words, God, the coach, while we run this race, he's looking at us. He's looking at the sideline and he's looking for somebody who'll say, put me in. Put me in the game, coach. I, I, I love watching football and I love, I love watching those guys on the sideline. You can tell who the, the real competitors are because when they've been hurt or something, the staff will take their helmet away so they don't go back out on the field. And you can watch the emotion sometimes of the players who say, I don't care. I'll play hurt. Give me my helmet back. I, I belong on that field. I'm ready to go. Can I just tell you, in the race of life, you're going to play hurt. You've you got to play hurt because life hurts. Stuff is going to happen. God's looking for somebody who will say, put me in. Ezekiel 22.30 says it this way. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall. Of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall. So I wouldn't have to destroy the land. 
but I found no one. In other words, God's saying, hey, I'm looking for people who say put me in, and they're actually kind of hard to find. They're hard to find. Not at True Life, baby. We got the best life team in the world, but there's always room for more. Come on, somebody. And I just, man, what if God would look down at True Life today and see a body of people who are just screaming at the top of our lungs, put me in, coach. Whatever, I don't care what position. I don't care if I ever get recognized for it. I don't care if I ever get noticed. God, just just use me in my in my life, in my generation, in my family. Use me to do something for you. So here's what I think would be Noah's words of encouragement to us. Because I think he would, if he were to come down here and, and talk with us this morning, he would say, guys, your generation looks a lot like mine. It reminds me of when I was on the earth. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of sin. But you got to remember that one person can change the world. That's all it takes. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid to do what it takes to change the world. I think, and look in your notes, I think he would say, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. But it's, it's kind of weird, man. To not do what everybody else does. Yeah. That's a good thing. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Chances are God's going to ask you to do something that looks stupid to everyone else. Hey, Michael, pack up your family in a moving truck. Leave Florida. Go to Delaware. Take a new job, no guarantee of success. Start talking to people about starting a church. Some people will be with you, I promise. What? I have a job. Here. I have a church I like. Here. Yeah, but I want you to do something that will stand out. Okay, God. I'll go. I would say it this way, to be a difference maker, you actually have to be different. Or it doesn't work. I mean, can you imagine how much Noah stood out? It has never rained before. And here this guy is spending 120 years building a boat. That's how long it took to build the ark. Can you imagine the awkwardness of the conversation with your neighbors? Hey, dude, when are you going to get that thing out of the yard? When it starts raining, what's rain? You'll see. It's against the code. The code's not going to matter soon, building the boat. You can't, listen, I just got to tell you, you can't do life the way everyone else does it if you want to stand out. Proverbs 21, 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Here's the next one. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Because chances are God's going to ask you to do something very unreasonable. Because his ways aren't like our ways. To be a difference maker, you have to be more concerned. Listen to this. You have to be more concerned with obeying God than looking foolish. If you're going to be a difference maker, you've got to be more concerned with obeying God than looking foolish. You just got to go for it. You got to trust him. You got to trust his word. 
Like I said before, probably the biggest leap of faith in my life was starting this church. And part of the story I've never really shared with anybody is this. We were, my wife and I were getting, we were very involved in what became our sponsoring kind of parent church, a church called Celebration Church in Jacksonville, Florida. It is today, and even then was, one of the fastest growing churches in America, one of the most influential churches in America. And as God called us to plant the church, we got called into a meeting there where they said, hey, we know you're talking about church planting. Is it maybe just that you really want to pastor and you feel like you're supposed to pastor? If so, we have a campus that needs a pastor and we would like to hire you to pastor that campus. And I, man, I, I just got to be honest with you. I was like, God, I can go start with nothing or I could stay here and be a part of one of the most successful, largest, influential, flourishing, growing churches in America. Like in my flesh, that seems like a no-brainer. But can I just tell you today, looking back two years, I'm so thankful that I obeyed God. That I was okay with the prospects of looking. Because I even had friends that were like, you're not going to take that? And I was like, no, God, that's not what God told me to do. I have to obey God. And I'm, I'm so thankful now looking back that at the risk of looking foolish, I stayed obedient. Come on, somebody. I mean, if you like the church, you should be thankful too. All right, so. <laughs> Hebrews eleven seven. it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. For some... God has been whispering something to you. Maybe maybe to you it's not go start a church. Alex, go ahead and come up. Maybe maybe there's that I I just think you know the Bible says that God speaks to us in a still small voice and for me that's oftentimes like this morning when as I was reading that scripture I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just kind of whispering to me, "Hey, this is this is the the thing that's going to happen today." If you want to read about it, Bill Hybels wrote a great book called Whispers. It's about the whispers of God, how he talks to us. And I just think maybe this morning there's some people who God's been whispering some things to you. And you've been holding back. Maybe you're afraid of looking foolish. Maybe you're afraid you're going to stand out. Maybe you're afraid it's not going to be reasonable. Maybe he's whispering to you today. Maybe he's saying, hey, don't quit. Don't quit. Maybe to somebody he's saying, step up. To somebody else he's saying, hey, it's time to take that risk. Take the risk. Apologize now. Go heal a relationship. For some, he might be saying, get help. Tell somebody. For some, he's saying, get out. Get out of an unhealthy relationship. Not your marriage, by the way. I mean, looking at your spouse like. <laughs> somebody he's saying, slow down. To somebody else he's saying, call that person. Call them. They need to hear from you. Somebody else he's saying, start today. To all of us today, he's saying, be a difference maker. Because one person can change the world. And that's the last point in your notes. When you see a rainbow, and I know it sounds cheesy, sounds cool. 
See, my, my whole life, every time I saw a rainbow, all I remembered was a Sunday school lesson where they taught me that the rainbow means God won't flood the earth again. And so I just thought, oh yeah, there's the rainbow. That's God's promise to know that he's not going to do this again. But I want to tell you that the rainbow ought to mean more to us than that. When you see the rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. It could be you. Just remind us that one person made a difference. God still uses people like that today. Matthew 28, 20, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to share one last scripture with you. I talked about how the times that Noah's mentioned in the New Testament is in reference to end times. It says in 2 Peter 3, 6, Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by, now this is important, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. In other words, the flood's not going to come again, but there is a day of judgment coming, and this time it's not water, it's fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being slow about His promise. See, we think, well, why hasn't Jesus come back? Why hasn't He fixed everything? He's not being slow about His promise. He hasn't forgotten, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So I would just say to you today, you know why Jesus hasn't come back and ended all this yet? Because if you don't have a relationship with him, if you don't know him today, the reason he hasn't done it is he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. And if you do have a relationship with him, he's waiting for you to start believing that you can make a difference. He's waiting for you to submit your life completely to him. Come on, somebody, take all the, take all the restrictions off. Stop, take, stop making up excuses for, for not allowing God to use you or, or to follow his word completely and wholeheartedly. So tired of that, man. Christians, I love Jesus, but I don't want to do anything that will cost me anything. Jesus said, take up your cross. <laughs> that sounds fun. Take up your cross, follow me. You know, the thing I died on, that's what it's going to take to follow me. For some, man, he's, he's waiting. He's waiting for you. And today's the day. Don't delay. Don't wait. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, Michael, that's me. I need a relationship with Jesus and it needs to start today. I'm one of the people he's waiting on right now. Lift up your hand. We're gonna, I'm going to pray for you. I see it. Anyone else? Quickly. I see it. I see it. Anyone else? I don't want him to wait any longer. Awesome. We're going to say a prayer. You can make it your own. You can change the words. Our whole church is going to say it with you. This is our way of inviting you into the family of God. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Save me. I repent. And I need you to be my savior. Live inside of me. Change me. Please forgive me every sin, everything wrong I've ever done or I'll ever do. From this day on, I commit my life to you and you will be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now everybody look at me right here.
if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, there's a really important next step I need you to take. And that's to take the connection card in the cup holder next to you. Fill it out. Make sure it's legible so we can read it. And check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Here's what's going to happen. Nobody's going to show up at your house. We're not going to stalk you or pester you. You're going to get an email from me with some instructions on what to do next. How to get your relationship with Jesus off to the to a good start. If you don't get the emails because we couldn't read your handwriting, <laughs> go to the website and send us a message. Type it in so that we see it, all right? Come on, has this helped you today? How many believe you can make a difference?